And now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith. On today's show, Tom Morales, co-founder and CEO of the Morales Group. It's not so much just a mission statement. It's not just uh, the vision we have as such. It's living that out in actions. Because I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people that have the best best uh, mission statements in place and stuff, but how do you make that into action, into verbs, into something that you can actually do? Well, hello, everyone. This is Ray Hilbert. We'd like to welcome you back to another episode of the Bottom Line Faith Program. I am really excited. Our guest today is Tom Morales. We're in Indianapolis in our home studios recording this episode of Bottom Line Faith. And Tom and I have known each other uh, more than 10 years, roughly 10 to 15 years, I would say. Tom is the co-founder and CEO of the Morales Group, headquartered in Indianapolis. It was a company that he co-founded in the year 2003, and we're going to hear about that story today and about Tom's serving his family and the Lord through the business and the marketplace. So, Tom, welcome to Bottom Line Faith. Well, thank you, Ray. I'm a bit humbled because I've listened to some of those podcasts, and I realize of the the individuals you've had had on, and more importantly, I keep thinking that, okay, why is it that I'm here? But I appreciate uh, the request and the invitation, and I hope that uh, whatever we do, we honor the good the Lord in every way. So You got it. Well, I'll tell you why I, I wanted you here, Tom, is because without question, you're a man who loves the Lord. You're a man who've done your best to model your Christian faith in your home, in your family, in your church, and in the community, and in the marketplace. And some great things have happened because of your faithfulness, and that's why I wanted to invite you onto this program, because you are an encouragement to so many, and uh, this is just a platform for us to be an encouragement to many more. Well, good. Well, thank you. You know, as we start this, Ray, I just wanted to share that so much of the so-called success, whether it's the world's view or uh, whether it's the biblical principles, I've realized that I wouldn't be here. I realized that over and over the success we've had as a company, not only from the size, but from the impact we made, has been because of him. And it really has. And I don't mean that. Sometimes people use that as cliche, you say it, but I just know it. And too many times I'm uh, people don't quite understand that. Uh, and it's, they want to say a lot of timing. They want to say a lot of different things. But uh, I truly know where, why it is where it is, and it's because he wanted it to be. So... That's fantastic. And so, Tom, let's just maybe, uh, let's kind of go back to the, a little bit of the beginning, not all the way back to birth, <laughs> of course, but um, you, you graduated from Purdue University, and when did you graduate from Purdue, and what was your major? I graduated in 1975. I was a, a civil engineer. That was my degree. Practiced that uh, for a number of years. I was a structural engineer. Also had my, uh, my minor was in uh, what we call uh, air pollution and environmental sinuses. Very good. And you've been married for how long now? It'll be 43 years in um, June 14th. I better get that one right. <laughs> and uh, 43 years and five children later and eight grandchildren later. So, oh, that's yeah. that's such a blessing. And so did you grow up in a Christian home, or how was it that you came to have a relationship with Christ? Yeah. I think the I, I grew up in a uh, very Catholic-oriented, uh, uh, basically my parents were both... Uh, Old school Hispanic. Uh, they they love the culture. When they moved here, we didn't speak but Spanish. But at the same time, they wanted us to live out the way they were living out their lives in in Mexico. And we realized that 
First of all, they wanted us to marry Latino women. They wanted us to take hold of the things that were important, especially uh, in their faith uh, when it came to um, Catholicism. A lot of that was the ritualistic pieces, but it really, really hit home to me because I realized that I was searching for more. And I uh, remember in at Purdue is where I... Uh, really came to grips with what I was looking for. Um, at that time, Catholicism was changing dramatically. It was coming from the, you know, Latin services to English to music that was uh, contemporary and everything else around it. And I was with two priests there at Purdue that just had a, a real life, in, in, and they were giving me, and I kept questioning them. I says, why is it I have to come to you to have that relationship? Why is it that I have to use you as an intercessor on some of these things? And, you know, and it really, they, they honored in how they were taught and brought up, but at the same time, they said, no, they were releasing me to have something much more. That was the first part of it, but really for my, myself, it was May, no, it was March 9th, 1973, when I came to know the Lord as my true Lord and Savior, and a lot of that has through Campus Crusade in, at uh, Purdue University. That's where I first started realizing that there was much more to my uh, relationship than uh, a Sunday service, or even I was, I went through parochial schools and stuff, and we had masses left and right, and uh, mm. and again it got me out of class, but that was about the extent of it for me for a while. So anyway, <laughs> I, I really appreciate that. Uh, didn't know all that story, so that's very helpful. So started the company, a co-founder in uh, July of two thousand and three. So let, let's transition and talk a little bit about the Morales Group, what you do, why you started it, and kind of what, what the company is up to right. these days. The best way to, to sort of start with this is um, my father, who again was a, a migrant worker and born in the United States, was raised in Mexico. He and his brother came up here and they went, they were migrant workers that came up to pick tomatoes. They went up to do the cherries and other uh, fruit up in Michigan. And every year they kept coming up, and they finally decided to, to raise a family here in Indianapolis. And what I start with that, because at that point, there was probably two handful of Hispanic families, and he knew every one of them, okay? Now there's hundreds of thousands. And throughout that, Dad, I always knew that he reached out to them, and that was his way of connecting, making them feel welcome, and providing them with uh, just a, a warm neighbor type of thing. So uh, in February of 2003, my father passed away for liver cancer. Throughout the challenges he'd made to me, and especially right before, I was about two months before, he said, when are you going to give back to your Hispanic community? When are you going to really give back? And I'm not talking about money. And he said, what can you do? And I said, I'll tell you what, Dad, I'll take a sabbatical and look around and see. Maybe it's financial literacy. Maybe it's English as a second language. Maybe it's something that I can you know, create for them. And so... And so as I did that, I remember very specifically, and there was many more that said this to me. They said, Mr. Tom, hmm. I appreciate what you're trying to do for us. English is a second language, teaching us about banking institutions. He says, but what we need, if you can get me a job, I'll take care of the rest of it. And, I, and it really hit home. And I said, wow, now either I'm going to have to create jobs or I'm going to have to connect people with jobs. And that's where the Morales Group started. Mm. So the challenge my father made, the reality of how I can really sort of give people the, the hope and the future that they were looking for. And uh, the best thing about the Morales Group is it, it's a, the simplest ways to talk about is that we have a workforce in which we provide solutions to our clients, and we call it staffing, temporary agencies, things like that. 
many of them looked at these jobs, especially the general labor, as opportunities. And the reality of it was that uh, many of our customers, our clients, wanted this workforce. But there was language, there was cultural issues, there was things like that. But, but that's how the Morales Group started, how we're focused in on it. And the initial impact was dealing with the Hispanic community. And uh, we had 85% of our workforce was that. At the same time, we also had a bullseye on our back. Everybody wanted to say they must be illegal, they must be undocumented. And what we had to do everything we could to use the law to protect them as well as protect ourselves. And we did. But what they couldn't overcome, our competitors, was the type of workforce we had and one that did much better than most. Since that time, we also we've created a, uh, a reaching out to the, to the world, the immigrant. And now we have 37 nations represented internally and externally mm. with our associates. And so that's a little history. I'm moving fast forward and stuff, but I'll allow, allow you to ask me some more on that. But yeah. So what would be the, the types of companies that would become clients that you would be able to serve the needs that they have? Yeah. And a majority of it, we, we, we're in the light industrial world, which uh, we consider the large warehouse logistics, a lot of distribution centers, and Indianapolis is perfect for that, you know, yeah. crossroads of America for a reason. That's the largest and uh, the focus that we give it. It also provides us a sense of professional levels, and at the same time, we've been able to be a consultative piece versus just giving the people the associates because they realize that we understand what it means to have the different cultures involved and how do we effectively utilize what they do, not to assimilate them into what we are, but to take hold of what they have to offer us, which is let's say, the, the thread and the tapestry I talk about is, is beautiful when you can put it together. So it sounds to me like what started out really as a challenge or an invitation from your father to make a difference back into your community you followed through on that. God has blessed it, and look where it's come from there. You know, and, and that's... That's got to be, like, feel really great, though. Well, it, it does. And I think what I'm trying to get to at times is, you know, we all wish we could have that perfect plan. We all wish that we had these steps that we gone. And I know business, and I know what it... And I was glad I had the opportunity beforehand to be in corporate America, because I learned a lot. But inevitably, I realized that... The best laid plans weren't just always going to be followed that way unless unless you were willing to just give it up to the point where you said, am I free enough to say it may change or the good Lord has another plan for me and things like that. And because of that, I believe it's a real reason the Morales Group has grown dramatically because I, from day one, said at times I was fearful, and I know it wasn't from him, so I knew that I had to do something much different, and it was just releasing, and it was a freedom I've never yeah. experienced until that happened to stuff. So. so there's a verse in Zechariah that I love to talk about. Zechariah 4, it says, Do not despise the day of humble beginnings. So I would imagine going back to that starting point in 2003, you would have had no idea in your wildest dreams that it could become what it's become, right? Right, right. You know, when we started, we started from zero, Yeah. okay? And I, again, acknowledge my co-founder, my partner, because he had that entrepreneurial spirit even more so than I did. Uh, I was a salesman. He was pretty much a back office type of guy. But from going from zero to 100 million in 13, 14 years, you know, people look at it and say, that's great growth. And I got to say this, and I, I say it very honestly, I had no idea how big we were. I knew we were big in volume and revenue, but I didn't know in the scope of industries, there's 20,000 staffing firms in the country. And we are the top 1%. 
I and I had no idea. I just figured we were growing and we were good and we were <laughs> solid. And and when you don't focus on that, something happens, you know, and I really believe that. And I'm not, not saying it because I was always looking at best practices and bottom line and things like that, but it was my focus was on serving a lot more people. There's a lot of times, Ray, where people come to me, my board of advisors, and say, listen, why don't you get rid of this non-profitable or maybe not as profitable customer that you have? And that way, your bottom line would be even greater. And I said, you're, no, you're right. That's one way of doing it. But then I would be eliminating <laughs> 253 jobs. So you tell me how am I going to replace that one, and I'll do it. <laughs> but my point is that it's not always about the end journey. It is about the journey itself and, and what we have to do at times. So I love it. I love it. Well, let's talk about that journey. There's a few questions that I'd love to, to ask. So l- let's go back to maybe the darkest moment. You know, you're, you're now, you know, several decade and a half, almost 20 years into this, and, and you really have a chance to celebrate the even the, the success from a worldly standpoint. But I'm sure it wasn't always easy. T- take us to maybe one of the darkest moments, the toughest times in the journey, and how did your faith specifically pull you through it? I think there's uh, five specific moments. Uh, I've got to back up just for a minute. My wife is a great writer, and she loves to journal. And throughout it all, specifically for the first two years, every week she'd journal what the company was doing and how they were doing. And then, well, even, even after that, the next five years, there was weeks or months that she would put it. But one of the things we always faced in uh, when you have a large contingent workforce like that, uh, the biggest thing is payroll. And if you don't have payroll, you're not going to get them back, okay? And you'd like to say that your customers paid you timely so that you had everything in place. And um, so to say it's dark, it's one of those times where you say, where is it coming from, Lord? How can I? So I knew that uh, there was five uh, specific times that were uh, where we went out, I went out, my partner didn't, I said, you need to do this. And I went out and it was friends. And I said, I need this for this amount of time. And um, You're talking about borrowing money? Borrowing money okay. to just make payroll. Yeah. yeah. And But what I was trying to get to, after the fourth or fifth time, we called the monuments. We said, we, we got through it. He was there for us, you know? And so why was it again that we were faced with that same thing and saying to ourselves, oh, how are we going to do it? We knew how we were going to do it. We just knew that it was just his timing. But those monuments really set us free from a lot of the issues. I, at one point, I went to one of my customers. And I said, we can't make the payroll. And he said, okay. And I told him how much we needed. And it was a quarter of a million dollars. And he said, okay. And he went in and he asked his CFO to write a check. And I said, okay. I said, well, we need a contract. He said, no, we don't. He stuck out his hand. He shook my hand. I said, I can't do this. I mean, I, I want you to feel like you. He says, well, you, your handshake is enough for me. Wow. And I said, that's not the way people do business now. And he says, yeah, but it's the way we're going to do business. And so I took that to heart because in reality, he knew, and he was always my strongest advocate. And for him to do it on a handshake and to say, I trust in you, but more importantly, I want to see you grow. It really has set me to, to do the same thing with a lot of other people, people that need help. And I'm not just talking in business. There's so many other situations. And if I can be that, I don't know, that answer. And I, for me, it may be prayer, the answer of prayer for them. It may be just the, I call it the um, catalyst. But you really don't get involved, but you just get it going. And that's what I love about it. So Thank you for sharing that because, you know, that's, 
it's not always easy to share those, uh, you know, that those are tough moments. But what did the Lord reveal to you in those? I mean, it couldn't have been easy to have to go to friends and say, hey, I need help, because that's kind of attacking the old pride thing, right? Oh, yeah. um, but what? How did, how did your faith get you through them is what I want to know. Right. And I think when I said about those monuments, it's that we can look back at those things, but that's after the fact. So when you're going through it, you realize, uh, Ray, that there's... Uh, there's a time, and I'd have to say that, especially in business, and especially when we're in this world, pride seems to come attacking us from all the different directions. And it's not just the fact that uh, uh, sometimes you feel if you've failed. Sometimes you feel as if you've uh, let people down. And that's really what I always looked at. It wasn't so much about how people were going to look at me, but I had a responsibility, and that really bothered me more than anything. And so I think if uh, those dark moments aren't so much about can I rebound? Maybe so. But how is it going to affect the rest of the people that needed and wanted? And so those dark moments taught me to look elsewhere instead of introvertingly saying, what can I do for me? It was about what can I do for others? And that motivated me much more than it did of uh, satisfying the need that I had at the time. And, and that's one of the things that I, I'm not sure that a lot of people who haven't been entrepreneurs and haven't started businesses or owned or ran businesses understand about the entrepreneur is that it really, there is a huge burden. There is a huge responsibility of these families that are looking to us for leadership and provision and those sorts of things. And I, I and you just shared some inside track on that. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I've got to share a couple of quick stories. And one of them being, um, I remember a gentleman that, uh, it took him seven and a half years to come from a uh, little town outside of Mexico City. He got up to Logansport, then Indianapolis. And I remember when he got here. And uh, I remember when I brought him into the office, and he'd been working for me for four or five years. And I said, I said, Manuel, I'm going to give you a raise. And he looked at me, and he said, no. I said, what do you mean no? And he showed me his hands. He says, I can't do any more. I said, I'm not giving you a raise because I want you to do more. That really hit me because it really was about the fact that too many times that's what we respond to is what am I getting for what I do, okay? And for me, and then I asked him right then and there, I said, all right, enough. I'm going to give you the raise, but what do you, what did you do with your hands? Because he'd always talk about his hands. He said, and in, in Spanish, he said, hacía guitarras. He made handmade guitars, and he told me, he says, and I want to show you something. He pulled out this rumpled um, brochure. And I, there was three parts, but it was the, the London Symphony, the House of Guitars in Germany, and I forget the other place. So he wasn't just making, and I embellished the story by saying it was like a Stradivarius violin and stuff. He was making, and he said, I'd love to visit that where they go as such. But in his mind, all he had, the ability to use his hands to do what he was what the good Lord asked him to do. So, Tom, what are, what's a couple of those biblical principles that drive you every day? You know, that, that the, the Word of God or those principles that really are the foundation with your leadership? I actually wrote these down, and uh, because prior to starting the Morales Group, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and, and a hope. It really stuck for Chris and I, my wife, that what we wanted is the ability to give people the opportunity to better their lives, to have a hope and a future. And, and you know, and at times you can't create those jobs, but what we wanted them to do is to be able to not only see 
what was available, but to connect those individuals, because many of them were willing to work as hard as they could, but to know that we were giving them the opportunity. That, and that's what our whole focus was. We've talked about serving them in a way. And another one that just has always stuck with me is just that, um, and more recently I found out about the, the Hebrew word integrity, and it's uh, Tom, T-O-M. But what I really liked is Psalm seventy-eight, seventy-two. It says, uh, having integrity. And I'll tell you, Ray, we know it too well in business. You know, how can we be completely honest with what goes on and not manipulative and not give in to certain things? You know, there's so much compromising, so much complacency, and, and just to giving in to what's, what's least um, uh, difficult to deal with. And I, I wrote something else earlier that I just, I really felt that there's so many things we do and we want an end result to be such. We don't. I don't want to compromise it. I don't want to give it up. I don't want to make it feel like I got there, that the end result was more important to me. Sometimes I won't get it what I want because it's not where I'm being led to do and stuff. So, but those two verses specifically in Luke ten seven is, you know, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and such. And so, there and it talked about your neighbor and yourself, and that neighbor really stuck out to me, because I was talking about the Hispanic community. I was talking about, then we were talking about the Middle East, African nations, uh, Asian nations, and things, South Central America, things like that. I realized that my neighbor came across a vast amount of geographical area and stuff. It was no longer just my neighbor next door. And, you know, to give the respect and the dignity that they need, because too many times they're looked upon as outcasts. They're looked upon as refugees. They're looked upon as so many things besides what they really are, and that's the human being that the Lord created. Uh, without question. And just one comment I want to offer you. You mentioned that Psalm seventy-eight, seventy-two. If memory serves me right, it says something like, David shepherded them with integrity Tegrity. of heart and with skillful hands he led them, right? right? And that's the back half of that, that as followers of Christ in business, yes, we need that integrity of heart, and we need to be excellent at what we do. And that's really, you, you, you guys have blazed the trail in the excellent part in, in this industry, right? Well, I think we have, and I think it's because we focused on other things, that's how the world sees it. And by that, I mean, when we talk about serving and giving, when we talk about really connecting, a lot of times what I see is that we're willing to do this without expecting something. You know, and everybody talks about the what we do, and we say why we do what we do, and we have a lot of different programs. Where, but our whole emphasis is is to have purpose in our life and what we're trying to do with the company. And believe me, it's not so much just a mission statement. It's not just a, the vision we have as such. It's living that out in actions. Because I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people that have the best, best uh, mission statements in place and stuff, but how do you make that into action, into verbs, into something that you can actually do? And we love it because that challenge really allows us to, to serve a whole slew of people. Uh, uh, that's, that's great stuff, Tom. I can't believe how fast these conversations go, but I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about maybe the biggest mistake. As you look back over the course of your, your business and your career, what, what's maybe the biggest mistake or poor choice that you made, and what did you learn from it? I think the, uh, and I won't say the biggest mistake, I mean, the biggest mistake in my own life is uh, how I addressed uh, uh, my ability to my own finances. Uh, so that's from the past that I really feel like there's a lot that I learned. But in the business sector, it was um, being yoked unevenly with a partner. I won't say the mistake because I, I, I appreciate what was brought to the table. I appreciate him, and I'll honor him in every which way. And I know that when I went to buy him out, 
I had the ability to buy them out at a much less number. But the reason I say that is that too many times the difficulty was that, and he would say it to me, well, I'll let you pray for it. I'll let you deal with it here and in your spiritual realm. But I realized that I had, there was times missing what I wanted the, the company as a whole to be and to be equally yoked in that regard. So be careful. Partners are not bad. I'm not saying that by any means. But for me, have those partners that, and again, it's not just saying that they're believers. You know, there's just a lot of those things that you want to, and, and take some of the practicalities of what it is about business acume and the and their expertise and their skill levels. And it works out when you are equally yoked because yeah. you can discuss them and challenge yourself and deal with some of those things. Well, also, when we are evenly yoked, uh, we have an, an unfair competitive advantage. We have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and when we're unequally yoked, we can't tap into that unfair competitive advantage. Yeah. And so that's, that is really, really great insight. Tom, I, oh gosh, I wish we had like two hours for this conversation, but the, the last section that I always like to cover in our, in our conversations, I just kind of couch this as our advice section, okay? So what I'd like to do is I'd like to ask you to consider maybe the best advice you were ever given. Mm-hmm. Who gave it to you and what yeah, was it? Yeah, and, I, and I, I look at it this way. Don't let anyone else define who you are, Okay. And, I, and by that, I mean in, in, in what you can become, because that choice is mine and stuff. And the fact is that I realized that in business or anything I do, I wanted to know what the impact would be. And so people would talk about what, what, what does it mean to be, make a difference? What does it mean to, to live a life of significance? And I think those are the things that really came to grab me. And, and specifically when we talked about... Um, it's about making mistakes and the failures that go along with it. I mean, I always look at the fact that people talk more and more about that. And the mistakes for me were the fact that they were just uh, times for me to reflect, times for me to get up and make another choice of how I was going to make uh, what I was going to do next. And so those things, I think, were, were very, very good advice for the future in anything that I did. One of our goals here at Bottom Line Faith is just to be an encouragement. And don't we all just need that encouragement? And so right now, there may be someone who's listening to this program. Maybe they've got their headphones on and they're working out. Maybe they're listening on their car or their you know mobile device or whatever. But maybe they're in a season of discouragement. And maybe they're just not sure the next step. Or maybe they just haven't followed through on that dream that God has given them. So would you just take a moment and offer a word of encouragement to that listener, even if it's just one right now uh, who's listening that's discouraged, what, how could you encourage them? How could you lift them up? What advice could you give them? I think the, the first thing is, uh, we always you mentioned step, that first step. I'll tell you what, it's amazing, but nothing can be started that. But I also feel like uh, so many times we're, uh, we're living in a sense of fear, the unknown, versus living in hope. And I believe me, that... That carries through so much of it. It's not the fact that you're going to know everything and everything's in place, but to start that step with hope versus the fear of what's unknown. I think a lot of other times is that, um, you know, I remember the the day that we decided we were going to start the company. Seth, my son, who's now going to be president, or he is president now, looked at us and said, why are you guys scared? Why, why are you, what's wrong? What, what's keeping you from doing it? And we looked at each other, and it was like we understood that we were led this way. You know, then it was the fact is we were bringing every other reason into play. Funding, timing, idea, 
passion, everything else. And we already really had felt we'd heard from him. And so there are those chances and those times when you find yourself, you can hear it so clearly, but you have everything else sort of keeping you from taking that first step. That's really Satan's playground. Oh, yeah. Is, is fear and worry and doubt and all those things. And, and worry and doubt is part of any organization and things, but it's not from him. And I realize that over and over. Too many times our whole life is what-ifs and making sure that we can plan it out. And I really get sort of tired of that I mean, because I figure, <laughs> and it's not a guess-sera-sera type of thing, you know, but it is, the fact is that if you're listening, if you're asking him, and if you're willing to have the Spirit just lead you, it's a lot of fun. It is a bunch of fun. It, it is to the point where we're saying, bring it on, you know? It's almost like, not that arrogance about it, but that confidence that you have more than yourself dealing with it. So. It is that unfair competitive advantage, <laughs> the Holy Spirit, right? Tom, thank you for being on the program today. You, you, you came in, you had your notes and thoughts, and I know you've prayerfully considered our time together today. So is there anything that I haven't asked you or anything that you would want to share with the audience that we haven't had a chance to talk about today? Anything on your heart? Yeah, and... I think one of the things we we talked about, and it was actually one of your questions, or at least uh, insight, how do you balance life, you know, with the faith, family, and work? And, and I've got to say this, Ray, I've always felt like we can't departmentalize our lives. And so whatever section you're in, wherever you're at, allow yourself to know that if it's if you're true to who you are and what your relationship with the Lord Whatever that family, whatever that uh, life component, or whatever business is, it comes out, and it, and so I, I almost hate to say that there's there's a balance in the sense that I know that I'm going to have time spent here or that, but I really wanted to sort of remove the departmental piece and say you're that way every single moment. Don't give me the one, two, or three that you're going to be into. Give me that same person throughout. Oh, that is great. Well, folks, we have been speaking with Tom Morales, the co-founder and CEO of the Morales Group, headquartered in Indianapolis, Indiana. Their website is moralesgroup.net, moralesgroup.net. Please check them out to learn more. So for the regular listeners of the program here, they know that the last question I always ask is what I have now dubbed as my 423 question. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, Solomon writes these words. He says, Above all else, guard your heart, for from your heart flows all of life. And so, Tom, what I would like you to do as we close our conversation today, I want you to just imagine for a moment you have a chance to gather your friends, your family, your loved ones, those who are most precious to you. You're at the end of your time, this side of eternity, and you have enough time and enough breath to pass along one piece of advice. So would you please fill in the blank for us? Yeah. Above all else... Seek His will. Open your heart to hear. And I just, I, I see that all the time. And and the last thing is maybe what I consider some absolute, absolute truths. Too many times, I don't know that people believe that there's any left. And there's so much that we have. And so seek His will. Open your heart to hear and rely on the absolutes of the biblical truths. Fantastic. Tom Morales, thank you for being our guest today on Bottom Line Faith. 
I'm so honored again. Thank you for the opportunity. Maybe we can do this again. Yeah, I, we will. <laughs> by, by the way, and he's a very humble man, and he probably you know hears this a lot. But Tom's like a scratch golfer. So uh, if you've got a big outing and you need that A player, <laughs> check out moralesgroup.net. He, he might he might take you up on an invitation. He's an amazing golfer, but more importantly, a, a man who loves Jesus, loves his family and who God has used incredibly so in the marketplace. And so glad you've had a chance to get to know Tom today here at Bottom Line Faith. We'd like to encourage you as you listen to these interviews on your podcast platform, just give us a positive review of your experience of that particular interview. The more reviews we get, the more our web presence improves, and the more our awareness uh, becomes available in the marketplace. And so until next time, I am your host, Ray Hilbert at Bottom Line Faith, saying God bless so long and serve the Lord faithfully in the marketplace. Bottom Line Faith is brought to you by Truth at Work. If you'd like to hear about new episodes or listen to past episodes, visit us online at bottomlinefaith.org. You can also subscribe to the show through Google Play and iTunes.